for our, our time this morning then. Let us return to Matthew's Gospel, to that chapter we read. We want to choose for our text there verse 33, a well-known text, verse 33 of chapter 6 of Matthew's Gospel, where we read the words of the Lord Jesus. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And we seek the Lord's blessing as we want to meditate upon these words in context this morning. I'm going to speak generally here, but I'm sure that none of us will contradict what I'm about to say in my introduction. I believe it's true to say that, generally speaking, people have never been so well-off in temporalities. The material wealth that we have in every one of our homes and in all the homes of this city and this nation would astound our last generation and former generations. We are up to our neck in material possessions. And we've never had it so good as far as these things are concerned. But with all this material wealth and all the possessions that we have, how many people are blighted by worry and anxiety? It's common. You hear it all the time. If you're in contact with any kind of media, it's something that is broadcasted continually. People of all ages are worried about life, and young school children even are worried about things in their lives. When we would say that your school days should be the happiest days of your life, that is very often not the case at all. People, young people, are worried. Girls, women are worried. They cannot go out at night because they're worried that they might somehow get attacked. People are worried about the economic situation that we find ourselves in today. People are worried about interest rates and how their mortgages have gone up and how will they be able to manage and to afford all that they have. It's called the cost of living crisis. We hear about it continually and people are continually worried about these things. Energy prices, maybe the war in Ukraine. Where's, when's it going to end? Will it end? How will it end? All of these things and many other things. Climate change is another thing that seems to be affecting multitudes and all the changes that will have to come about if we're going to combat climate change as they say. Well, I'm not going to discuss these topics. Neither am I going to say that these things that I've mentioned are real fears and real concerns. I'm not. I'm simply highlighting what many people in the world that we live in are worried and anxious about. Here in our text, we have the Lord Jesus Christ telling us 
how we are to live, and how we are to behave ourselves. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. This should be our reaction. It doesn't matter what century we live in. It doesn't matter what decade. It doesn't matter. This is to be our number one priority. We are to seek first the kingdom of God. And that's the title I want to give to our meditation this morning. It's first things first. It's to get things in perspective, to seek first the kingdom of God. Now, before we get to our text, we have to do a wee bit of digging, a wee bit of homework in order that we might see the relevance of what Jesus says to his people there in verse 33. We might start maybe at verse 24, which is a new section in chapter 6. And here the Lord Jesus Christ is telling his people a very clear and plain truth that cannot be sidestepped. And if we're ever going to be in the kingdom of God, this is something that we must know. What does it say in verse 24? No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. And here, here is what he's saying to us. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. He's calling here for his disciples to be true-hearted disciples, to be fixed, to be firm, not to be double-minded, but to be whole-hearted followers of himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's telling them, you cannot have your feet in the world, or you cannot have your feet pursuing temporal things, and then in the church or with the Lord Jesus Christ, you cannot divide yourself. It's impossible. You either have to be out and out for the Lord Jesus Christ, or you will be out and out for the world and for serving mammon in the world. That's what he's saying. And that's abundantly clear and true. And it's true today, friends. We have to nail our colors to the mast. We cannot be in one camp and in the other camp. We cannot serve this world and all the pleasures and all the cares and all the concerns of this world and be in the kingdom of God and be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot do it. This is what he says. Either Christ is your master or the world is your master. You have a choice. We all have a choice. Is it Christ, or is it the world? And he goes on from verse 24. He goes on and he highlights the different reactions between his people and the Gentiles. What does he say, for instance, in verse 32? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. Now, the Gentiles are the non-Jews, but in this case, he's calling the Gentiles really the heathen and the unbelieving and the pagans. 
And what he's doing in that section from verse 24 to where we're looking at, he is outlining what the pagans and the heathen do. And what do they do? Well, they are concerned about food, about clothing, about life. They are concerned about these things, and these things take up their time and their attention, and they are devoted in caring about these things. Now, to help us understand this, there are basically two kinds of philosophies in this world. Basically two concerning this world and how it's ordered and how things work. There is what is called fatalism. What does that mean? Well, fatalism is the doctrine and the philosophy that says whatever will be, will be. That's fatalism. Whatever will come, will come. And there's nothing we can do about it. That's what they say. Now you might say to yourself, well, that sounds very familiar. And it sounds similar to what Christians believe in the sovereignty of God. Our God is a God who has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. And you might say, well, this sounds very much like fatalism, but it's not. Fatalism doesn't believe in God at all. Fatalism believes in fate. And what, whatever will be, will be, and there's nothing we can do about it. Whereas the Christian believes in a God who is sovereign, an absolute monarch who rules this world and everything comes to pass according to what he has decreed. That is true, but that's not fatalism. That's a belief in the sovereignty of God. Now, we believe in the sovereignty of God, and we believe that whatever he has decreed will certainly come to pass. But I don't know what he has decreed, and you don't know what he has decreed. We only know what he has decreed when it comes to pass. God has given us his will, his revealed will, in the word of God. Now, God does not have two wills. Let's be clear on this. He has one will. But he has a secretive, or, or we might say to help us understand, we would look at it like this. We can say that he has a, a secretive, a decretive will that comes to pass. But he has revealed his will to us in the word of God. And that's what we are to be concerned about. That's what we are devote, to devote ourselves to, and that is what we are to obey. And this is to be our rule and our pattern for life, what we find in the Word of God. So, fatalism is not a belief in the sovereignty of God. No, fatalism is a belief, in a belief, whatever will be, will be. 
Now, that's one of the philosophies that dominate the world today. But there's another one. And uh, the basic philosophy of the other one is, everything in this life is accidental. That's, that's what they believe. There's no rhyme. There's no reason. You never know what's going to happen. There's no purpose in life, no design, order, or arrangement. This is very much an offshoot of evolution, which dominates our society. There's no rhyme or reason. You never know what's going to happen. Now that these things that we're mentioning here dominated that world 2,000 years ago, and these things dominate the world today. And to that world, the Lord Jesus Christ gives this exhortation to his people not to be like the Gentiles, not to be like the heathen, not to be like the pagans. Instead, you are to seek first the kingdom of God. That's what you're to do. Christ taught them, take no thought for your life. He mentions that four times, or four or five times in this chapter, or words to that effect. You'll find it in verse 25 and 27, 28 and 31 and 34. He basically says the same thing to his disciples. Take no thought for your life. Now, that doesn't mean to say that you are not to look after yourself. It doesn't mean to say that, well, we're going to get food and God is going to provide the food and I don't need to go out and work. Or if I'm a farmer, for instance, I don't need to, to uh, prepare my field and sow my crop because God will somehow miraculously provide my food. No, no, no. It doesn't mean that at all. But what it means is you're not to be overburdened with worry. You are to do what you can. You're to do according to the word of God. And then you will know the blessing of the Lord. Now, these people here that he's mentioning, what were they worried about? Well, I put it to you, friends. They were worried about the, exactly the same things that people today are overwhelmed about. They're worried about the basics of life. Look at verse 25, for instance. Therefore I say unto, thee, uh, unto you, Take no thought for your life what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is he not mentioning there the very basics of life? Food, water, clothes, everything that we need, that we cannot do without, but he says, take no thought. Not, not no thought absolutely, but to get things in perspective. What else are they worried about? Well, verse 27, what does it say? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto a stature? Now, this is not uh, a reference to adding to one's height. What it's talking about this is, it's adding years to their life. That's what it's talking about. You cannot add one day to your life, friend. 
You were brought into this world at a time when God had decreed, and you shall be brought out of this world at that time that God has decreed. You will not be able to add one second to your life. We all urge you to have a healthy lifestyle, to eat properly, to have rest, to have exercise. These things are good for you, but you will not add one day to your life. And therefore, you're not to worry about these things that you cannot change. What else do they worry about? Well, verse 34, what does it say? Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. The future. The future. Is this not something that is consuming these climate change zealots? Oh, I'm doing this for my children. I'm doing this for my grandchildren. They're concerned about the future. Why are they concerned about the future? Because they don't trust the living God. They don't recognize that God is in control. Now, what he's doing here is he's highlighting the behavior of the Gentiles, the pagans, and the heathen, and what he is saying to us today and to them when he originally gave this Sermon on the Mount, you are to be different. You are to be different. Because, friends, he's speaking here, this whole Sermon on the Mount, he is speaking to Christians. He's not speaking to unbelievers here. He's speaking to his people. And he's trying to tell his people, you are not to be like the Gentiles. You have your faith in the living God. You have your faith in God who is controlling all things. Are you going to be worried then about your food, about your clothing, about your drink, about the future? You know the one who holds the future. Are you going to be worried? Oh, Christian, maybe you've come here this morning and you're worried. You're worried about tomorrow. You're worried a new situation is going to face you tomorrow and you don't know how it's going to pan out. And you're worried. Oh, friends, crucify your worry. You've got a doctor's appointment. You've got an appointment with a banker. You've got another appointment. You don't know what's going to happen. You know God who knows all things. You can see the point then. Why he is saying this to his people. Because, and this is a sad thing, because very often God's people, when they worry, they just live like and act like pagans unbelievers. This is not to be the way. There's a better way. And here's the way Jesus is telling us here. He says, but I've outlined what the Gentiles do. I've outlined what the heathen do and how they behave and how they think. But you're my disciples. You are followers of the Lamb of God. You are followers of Jesus Christ. You are followers of the wisdom of God. And you are to live in the way that I have outlined for you. Because 
This is your happiness. This is what Jesus Christ has purchased for us in our salvation. Oh, we know he's purchased more than that. Of course we know that. This is not the sum and the substance of the salvation that he's purchased, but this is all part of it. And therefore, friends, when we go out of here, if we're Christians, when we go out of here, we are to have a Christian worldview, not a pagan worldview. They'll be worried about pollution. They'll be worried about climate change. They'll be worried about the economic crisis. They'll be worried about oil prices and energy prices. They'll be worried about fear and all of these kind of things. But the child of God, what will he be? Be still and know that I am God. This is what he tells us here. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Well, three, three brief headings that I wish to conclude the sermon with this morning. First of all, then, from this text, surely here is an exhortation. Seek to enter. Seek to enter into the kingdom of God. Friends, I said it earlier, and I'm not going to take it back. This was spoken first and foremost to his people. They were already Christians. They were followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. But friends, it would not be a distortion to impress upon unbelievers, even unbelievers here this morning, oh, that you might seek to enter into the kingdom of God. Oh, that you would make the kingdom of God your aim and your goal and your desire. How can I do that, minister? How can I do it? Jesus is the only way. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. It's exactly the same thing. The kingdom of God, to be in heaven, to be with the Father, it's exactly the same thing. And friends, you are to seek to be found in the kingdom of God. You are to be under the kingship and the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what you must do. Otherwise, you'll just be like the pagans. You'll fall into the same trap, and you'll be worried about these things. How can I seek? Call upon him. Call upon him. Oh, minister, I want to see you. I want to have an audience with you. How do I seek? No, you don't need a minister. What does a minister do? A minister is like John the Baptist. Behold, the Lamb of God. He points to Jesus Christ. You must have personal dealings with him. You must go to him. He alone can forgive your sins. And you need your sins forgiven. You'll never get into the kingdom of God until your sins are forgiven. How can my sins be forgiven? You must confess them. You must acknowledge them. You must hold your hand up and say, Be merciful to me, a sinner. You must be like that publican who went into the temple 
And he beat upon his breast and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, because, friends, it's all by grace. You cannot demand to be brought into the kingdom of God. Oh, you can seek it. You can cry out and you should cry out. And you should never stop crying out until God answers. That's why he says, seek first the kingdom of God. First things first. This is the greatest problem you have. You may have problems and they may well be real problems. You may have many problems in your life. They're real. We're not going to dismiss them. But here's the principal one. Here is the problem above all other problems. And once this problem's addressed, every other problem, I'm not going to say, will go away. But you will have grace to enable you to go through these difficulties and problems. Seek then to enter. Give him no rest. You know, the Bible loves to tell us about people who approached the Lord Jesus Christ and he never turned them away. God is the God of the Bible. The Christian God is a God of mercy, a God of grace, and a God who has displayed his love Clearly, friends, in the cross. Therefore, seek him. Call upon him. Now, in your closet at home, whatever, go on your knees and cry unto him. Maybe you should pray something like this. God reveal to myself what I'm really like. Reveal my sinfulness, because maybe I know something about my sinfulness, but I really don't know what it's like at all. And maybe the first thing is God has to reveal to you what you're really like, as far as he's concerned. And then maybe that you might pray that God would reveal himself, that you might see, therefore, yourself and God. And once you have a, a clearer understanding of what you really truly are like in the sight of God, and once you understand what God is like, and you see the great contrast and the great gulf that is between sinful man and a holy God, then you'll cry out to the Savior. Then you will cry out for your sins to be forgiven. Then you'll truly begin to seek first the kingdom of God. But secondly, as I said, he was speaking here to Christians, principally, seek to enter. But secondly, he tells them to seek to enjoy. Seek to enjoy. Where do we get this from? We find it here. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And his righteousness. 
Friends, the gospel tells us the moment that we believe upon Jesus Christ, we receive his righteousness. We are justified by faith and we receive his righteousness. His righteousness is credited to us, to our account. But that's not the righteousness he's talking about here. He's talking about a practical right, righteousness. He's talking about the, the believer living a life of righteousness. Not a righteousness that justifies us before God, no. But a righteousness that declares that we are righteous before God. Basically what I'm saying, friends, is the just will show themselves to be righteous by living righteously. This is what 1 John tells us about. The man who lives righteously is truly righteous. The man who walks like a Christian, the man who talks like a Christian, the man who lives like a Christian, I could call myself a Christian, but if I don't live like a Christian, there's no evidence that I am a Christian. I could make a great profession. I could claim to have a great testimony, a great experience. But if I'm not living like a Christian day by day, it's all a bit of a sham. And therefore, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In other words, live like a Christian and enjoy being in the kingdom of God. And friends, maybe this is something that's new to some of us, to equate enjoyment and pleasure with Christianity. Well, it is a wonderful thing to be a Christian. It's the most wonderful blessing that you could ever have to have your sins forgiven and to be right with God and to know your eternal destiny is secure. Does that not make you happy? Does that not enable you then to encounter all the difficulties that you will in your life? Does this not in some sense put steel in your backbone? Surely it does. Well, the Scots are not very emotional. But surely, friends, there must be some inward joy within us when we're Christians. When heaven smiles upon his children. When God looks upon the Christian, my child, when God has put his hand upon your life and God has taken you out of the kingdom of darkness and placed you into the kingdom of light and he has lavished upon you blessings that others know nothing about, are you not going to rejoice? Are you not going to be happy? Seek to enjoy the kingdom of God. Is it not wonderful to walk daily with the Savior? Of course it is. 
earlier on in Matthew's Gospel in the first part of the Sermon of the Mount, he says one of the Beatitudes, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Is this your experience, Christian? Do you hunger and thirst after righteousness? Do you long to know the Savior more and to live according to the ways of the Savior, to be like him, to walk in his footsteps? They shall be filled. Well, briefly and thirdly, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek to extend it. Do we not find that in the prayer, in the Lord's Prayer, there where he gives us outlines, where he gives us headings to build upon our prayers? What does it say? What does it, what do the petitions say? Thy kingdom come. You know, if you're truly in the kingdom of God, this will be something that will be in your life. Oh, it might not manifest itself, being a preacher, for instance, but you will have this idea within you that the kingdom of God would come, that it would grow, that it would flourish, that it would extend. You will have an interest in Christ's kingdom. You will pray for the downfall of all false religion. You will pray that the, the kingdom of darkness might truly be brought down. You will look for the kingdom to come. And you will know that we're in the kingdom of grace at the moment. And yet we look for that kingdom of glory when Jesus Christ will return. And you will do whatever you can within your faculties, within your calling. You will do what you can and seek to extend the kingdom of God. Here's a quote from Mr. Spurgeon. Quote, If Jesus is precious to you, you will not be able to keep your good news to yourself. If Jesus is precious to you, you will not be able to keep your good news to yourself. Seek to extend the kingdom of God. You have an interest in it. You have an interest here in it. You have an interest in foreign fields. You long for the earth to be full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. This is something that the Christian will have. He will seek to extend it. Do not worry then. Don't be like the pagans. Get first things first, and everything else will fall into place. This is what he says. And all these things shall be added unto you. God knows what you need. He will provide. Seek first the kingdom of God.